Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 113, Dismantling False Beliefs to End Addiction with John Dicey, CEO of Alan Carr's Easy Way Method. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. I was so ridiculously excited for this conversation. Um, John Dicey has been around uh, Alan Carr's Easy Way Method for a long, long time since he was a client there himself. Uh, and I just love this method. I love what they've done. They've sold over 14 million books and umpteen languages. I mean, the the easy way method, if you aren't familiar with it, uh, it started with the easy way to stop smoking, Alan Carr's book that you'll hear it in the episode. I don't remember when it came out, 80s or 90s maybe. Uh, Alan Carr had some insights into his own smoking behavior and started sharing them with people and put them into a book. And it grew ridiculously fast, given that there was no fast way to spread the news like there is today, but through word of mouth and just because it was true and because it worked and it helped people, it just spread like wildfire. And now they share the, the, the basics, the the principles behind this, the easy way method to help people stop drinking, stop overeating and all kinds of things. So I, uh, when I quit smoking back in 2003, I, I quit, I was mostly quit already, but it was, it was into my quitting when I, uh, when I, maybe a few months since I had smoked when I came across the easy way method. And, um, and I read the book because I, I was done, but I wouldn't say that I was confident in being done. You know, I still, and I was interested in anything that that um, helped make stopping smoking easier, even though, you know, again, I had been stopped for a few months. Um, it was not an easy process for me. Uh, and I guess I was already interested in how to help people change. So I was just really interested in it. So I remember reading the book and and seeing, wow, the the basis of this now this is what i heard from it back in 2003 not from from the thinking i have around all of this today but the basis of it is that i love cigarettes because i think they do something for me but this whole book is showing me that they don't they don't do at all now they do something but they don't do what i thought they did i thought i loved smoking and it relaxed me and it did this and it did that and to read this book and see see it in a different way. See, no, that's what we've been told. And this is how we've been told addiction works. So that's been our experience. But actually, those cigarettes don't do anything good for you. They've done something sort of bad for you. They've made you physically addicted to some degree. And then there is a feeling that happens because of this physical addiction or this withdrawal. And then the cigarette just brings you up to be at the same level as everyone else. They don't add anything. They just temporary, very temporarily fix what they ruined to begin with, in a sense. These are my words, not theirs. But that was huge, huge for me to see. Oh, my gosh. And what stuck with me was, wow, that my whole love of cigarettes was was based on a misunderstanding. It was based on false beliefs that I had about what these things did. Now, I've since heard it around drinking, and, and many other people have written books around drinking, like Jason Fail and Annie Grace, that, that talk about a similar thing. We think, like this is so conditioned through 
through advertising and society and all of that, but it's also our own little innocent conclusions that we think a drink or um, a bowl of ice cream or anything gives us a particular feeling. And what if we really look at that a little deeper? And when we look under the hood and really see what's going on there, yes, we often come to feel a particular feeling in the presence of these things, but those things aren't doing it to us the way that we think they are. The feelings we're feeling aren't coming from the habits we're doing or the substances we're ingesting. They're coming from within us. They're us. And I, and this is this is so much in line with what we talk about in the little school of big change. This is one piece of it. Now in the school, we look much kind of broader in a sense at who we are as spiritual beings and how our psychological experience works, but it leads you to the same result. And I, I knew that was the case. <laughs> and I had so much fun talking with John in this conversation and seeing from him, yes, it is the case. We're talking about the same thing. We're, we're leading people to the same realizations and the same end result through, you know, a slightly different, but not even all that different kind of conversation. So I love this conversation. It was so fun to have, and I hope you can hear that coming through. And yeah, I really encourage you to, uh, Give it a listen and see if it resonates with what you've heard uh, me talk about here on the podcast and from this new paradigm. Again, I think of it as kind of a piece of that. Now, we're talking about things in a much broader way, but see if you can see how, how dismantling some of this conditioning and false beliefs really opens you up to the freedom that's already there, always has been. So enjoy this conversation with John. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Thank you so much, John, for coming on Changeable. It's an absolute pleasure, Amy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, so just maybe to kick us off, tell uh, tell everyone a little bit about the work you do uh, with Alan Carr's Easy Way. Maybe let's let's start by saying a bit about who Alan Carr was and how he founded this method, um, and then I'd love to hear how you got into it. No, sure. Alan Carr was uh, a former chain smoker. Um, something I can relate to because I was too. Um, but he he tried every method under the sun to quit smoking um, and failed miserably. Um, and he eventually got to the position where he th- sort of thought, well, I'd rather have a, a short, mi- uh, happy life as a smoker than a, a long, miserable one as a non-smoker. Kind of gave up giving up almost. Um, and then he sort of stumbled across a new way of thinking. He always uh, described it as sort of one of these... Uh, Images, one of these pictures that doesn't make any sense unless you get a certain distance away from it or to it. Everything came together, um, partly just through some very basic uh, sudden realization about the nature of addiction. Um, and he stubbed out his final cigarette and said, That's it. And turned to his wife, uh, Joyce, uh, and said, I'm going to cure the world of smoking. 
and uh, she thought he was crazy, but he, he, it really was one of those sort of shining lights sort of moments. Um, and uh, he wasn't medically trained. He was a, a finance director, an accountant by uh, I mean, a trade, um, worked in business, uh, and um, started sort of helping smokers he knew to, to, to stop. Um, they recommended him to other people and other people, and in the end, suddenly people were sort of consulting him. He sort of he had to sort of stop doing his day job and, and move into it full time. Um, and that's what he did. Uh, he, um, again, he used to sort of start meeting smokers in his home. They'd come to a spare home and he'd see one or two at a time or three at a time. Um, and the uh, seminars, as we now call them, originally I think it sort of lasted an hour or two. But gradually as he sort of defined the uh, method, uh, they grew in, in length, uh, eventually moved into his first commercial premises in the late 80s um, in Rains Park, southwest London. Um, and those are the premises I visited in 1997 as a, a chain smoker. Um, I was just knocked, knocked out by this method that suddenly made something seem that seemed so sort of impossible suddenly seem so easy. So that's, that's how Alan Carr kind of came across the method. Um, so you imagine he's in this sort of this room in uh, uh, southwest London and seeing groups of smokers every day. You know, he just couldn't see. Uh, he didn't have enough time to, to see as many people who needed his help. And he made just the most important decision of, well, my life, anyone involved in Alan Carr's life, which was to put the method into a book. So he thought, you know, let's, let's one, on one hand, he thought, Maybe people will react better to uh, the written word, give them time to progress through the method in their own time. On the other hand, he said, well, I, you know, I can't cure the world of smoking personally. Right. Um, and he did that. Uh, he published it, the book himself uh, initially. Very quickly, it was picked up by a um, biggest publisher in the UK uh, and uh, went on to be the best-selling stop smoking book of all time. Wow, and it's from that really. People used to fly from all over the world to consult with Alan and with me. When so he was good enough to train me, um, and our objective really was to kind of let's we want to make Alan Carr's Easy Way available in as many countries and as many languages as we possibly can, and that's what we set about doing when we uh, when we uh, hooked up. She's uh, uh, been an extraordinary adventure for me. Um, and it sounds a bit corny because so I, was, I was a chain smoker. I'm always embarrassed to admit I used to smoke 80 cigarettes a day. Which, I mean, people probably think, God, what's the matter with that guy? But I just, <laughs> uh, um, I always made sure I could smoke in my office. And the moment I wake up in the morning, I'd light a cigarette. The last thing I did at night was stub out a cigarette. I used to wake up some evenings, some nights, just to have a cigarette. Um, I was, the, you know, the worst smoker of all, all time. And like Alan, I, I tr I'd really tried to stop. Um, I was utterly useless at quitting. I, 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 I last a few hours. I wasn't one of these smokers that would go, oh, three months and then go back to smoking. Um, and I was just uh, absolutely amazed. I, I went along to the seminar really to um, disprove 
Oh, uh, my, my wife, uh, she, I was, she was my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, uh, and, and she always disapproved of my smoking. And I said, look, look I'll go along uh, to the seminar. If, I, if, if it doesn't work, you can't hassle me about my smoking for another year. And that was the deal. She did the deal. Um, and the way I looked at it is, well, there's a money-back guarantee. I can't lose. And I fully expected to leave there and, uh, and be able to smoke in peace and quiet for a, a year. Um, but blimey, I, I couldn't believe <laughs> that was it. Uh, and um, for me, it wasn't really a, um, a revelationary moment. Uh, first off, it's just I sort of walked out still quite sceptical. I thought, didn't think it was going to work. And um, I suppose it's easier for a chain smoker because I was literally smoking all the time. By the time I got sort of 100 yards around the corner, it was like, wow, I've never walked that far without a cigarette before. <laughs> you know, sort wow. of, uh, uh, and I was just absolutely um, blown away by the fact that this, this method, I had no idea how it worked, um, had suddenly made me feel pretty cool about not smoking. Um, I got in touch with... Uh, with Alan and um, Robin Haley, who's now chairman of the organization. I said, look, I really love to get involved. And um, I was so enthusiastic about it. And uh, in the end, I was very fortunate to, that Alan took me under his wing, um, sold my business interests and, and, and took over Alan's original uh, sem- seminar center in London. Very quickly, uh, went on to manage the UK sort of a, develop, create, and manage the UK operation in the global network of centres. Uh, and we went from something like, I think it was, we were in eight, eight or nine countries to now we're over 50 countries in a pretty short space of time. Wow. Um, and um, uh, expanded the method um, to all sorts of other issues and addictions uh, other than smoking. Which I think was really is a, is my labour of love. Really, there's you know, Alan himself used to get correspondence from people, whether they had alcohol issues or other drug issues or uh, addicted to sugar, whatever it might be. Um, and so we, we came up with this kind of a hit list: which which addictions and issues can we do first? Which need to come later, or whatever. Um, I'm ever so pleased that sort of now here we are, 2020. Um, We've still got a way to go, but I've nearly, I've nearly achieved what I set out to achieve, which is, okay, if you've got a, you know, if there's a significant number of people with, with an addiction or an issue, we should be able to help them. And I, I wanted to take it further than just a personal consultation. So, um, you know, again, just going back to Alan's principle, the book just opened up the method to millions of people. So I think we've estimated that the book combined with the seminars some like 50 million smokers worldwide wow. have been helped by the method. Um, and so I want to sort of accelerate that using sort of the modern tools. So we have online video programs for all kinds of aspects uh, of the method. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got involved. Yeah. Um, I, I'm smoking, you know, stopping smoking was, was what I was most passionate about. I, th- I think that's sort of the, the other stuff came later when I suddenly realized, no, this is, this is my responsibility to, uh, you know, uh, I'm very honored that Alan kind of made me responsible for it, my responsibility to make sure we get, we get this method to help as many people who, who need it. Uh, uh, you know, people want to do stuff, that's their, 
prerogative, but if they need help, I want them to have access to Alan Carr's easy way uh, for that reason. Yeah, so much amazing stuff in there. Okay, so first, I love that he um, he just had an insight. He didn't set out to change the world. He didn't set out to make a create a business. He had a personal insight that helped him. And then little by little, it sounds like he just began sharing it. And I'm sure the message clarified and all of that along the way. And I don't know, I just think there's something so um, just pure and amazing in that, you know, and I, and you see that other places, like a, a lot of the, uh, the understanding that I share was a similar thing. A guy, it's very remarkable, like similar story, actually. A guy had an insight. Oh, we feel our thinking. We don't feel what happens out there. We're healthy and we feel our own thinking. And he turned to his wife and said, I'm going to change psychology. <laughs> and yes. little by little over the years he has, which is kind of how Alan Carr is like, you know, it's just, I love that piece of it. No, absolutely. And I think um, we take cer- certain things for granted uh, now in terms of word of mouth. Word of mouth has never been more efficient in the history of the globe. Yeah. You know, Twitter, Facebook, Messenger apps, the whole shebang. It's really easy now. Uh, and it's a very, it's a very uh, 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 full up kind of uh, bursting at the seams medium. Uh, there. But when Alan started, the extraordinary thing is he was just a guy on his own in London. And this thing became a global phenomenon before the internet, before Facebook, before Twitter, and before anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it really was all all by you know, word of mouth, kind of literally. Um, and when I took over the centre in London, um, started handling Alan's correspondence, the letters, this back in the day when people used to send letters, every day it, it, it would be a struggle to open all the letters and have them replied to wow. from every corner of the globe. It's just, it was an extraordinary privilege to be witness to it. Yeah. And I think to, in some respects we still get that. We get these lovely comments online and, uh, and people do drop an email to us or send a, a testimonial um, but in those days, it was just extraordinary that someone, you know, not only would they write a letter, put it in an envelope, stick a stamp on it, but send it from New Zealand or China or wherever it might be. Yeah. Extraordinary. Wow. I love also in your story, it really highlights something that, you know, you hear a lot, especially around cha- any kind of change addiction, that you have to want the change and you have to be ready for it and you have to be motivated and all of that. So I love the aspect of your story where you said, hey, this is not going to work for me. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. you know, you and, and yet it did. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a the worst advert for it, really. But, uh, <laughs> but in some ways, the best, I suppose. But no, I think Deep down inside, uh, anyone with a you know, addiction, they they want to get free. Yeah. Uh, the ones that don't that say they don't, don't realize don't realize they have a problem. Uh, but apart from, apart from that, as soon as somebody realizes they have an issue, an addiction, they want to get free. So I have to, you know, I analyze myself going back to 1997 when I went along. Yeah, I was. I didn't have any. I, I'd kind of given up all hope really and and I think it's that defense mechanism you kind of just my expectations were so low um and negative um that I mean I think that probably made freedom more sweeter 
I, I quite like the idea people go to, oh, sign up to Alan Carr's easy way. Oh, I'll get myself sorted out and they, they wander off and never get back in touch with us again. It's kind of like, yeah, cured. That's yeah. great. Um, but I think for somebody who's, who's kind of reached the depth, it, it, it is very special. And when you're an 80 day smoker, 80 day smoker, you know, you know, it's going to get you, <laughs> you know, as a sort of in my mid twenties, late thirties as a chain smoker. And I was already kind of wheezing and coughing and I just, what a mess. Um, and you, you are scared. Uh, you, you pretend you're not, you put it to the back of your mind. You try not to think about it, but it's there. And Alan described it as a kind of huge dark shadow at the back of your mind. A release from that is just incredible. And, uh, and I do know, you know, um, I, I, I wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for Alan Carr. There's no, there's no two ways about that. It's just not, it's not possible um, for, to survive what I was doing to myself. Um, I, I in my life, and it's, uh, I think everybody who's helped out of something like that feels the same about you know whoever helped them or or whether it's a person or a method. And you must come across this a lot in your in your work, which you really admire. I think you've done incredible things. Um, there is no better thing in the world than helping someone. You know, I think it's uh, uh, human nature. It's it's in there. There's, there's something in most people want to help. And and in uh, a darkest hour, you know, the world is doom and gloom, politics that surrounds us now, where everything is so angry and unhappy and whatever. We forget. It's easy to forget. Ninety-eight uh, percent of the world's population just want to get along just want to help each other, just want to make things better for each other. And that's brilliant. To be, to be involved in that in even a small way is a real honor. Yeah, it is. I love that. So, um, okay, so what is, what is the method? <laughs> if, we, if you kind of had to say, if you had to just sum it up, you know, like what is, um, what's it based on? Is there like a, an understanding of, of addiction or how humans work that kind of underlies it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, in some ways, I'm not sure the method could have been devised by um, someone sort of medically qualified. I, th- I think, I think it was just in a certain way, it was uh, Alan's naivety of, of, of certain areas of medicine and science that might might have helped him uh, devise the method. It, um, and as I know, you have a, a special interest in neuroscience and everything else. If you, you talking about this rather than me um but the more i talk to people um with interest in neuroscience and specialism in neuroscience the more they're kind of the alan carr method is being proved alan carr's easy way is being proved the the fundamental fundamentals of it that it's uh uh uh, most addictions uh, are actually easy to break as long as you know how what is the process of withdrawal? How can something that, that you're addicted to, uh, um, whether it's a drug that you withdraw from, whatever, how can it possibly be easy to to get over that? Well, it is, as long as you get your thinking right. And I think it's, it's brilliant when people far more articulate and coherent than me, like yourself, can talk about you know the thought, changing your thought process, you know, rewiring your brain. Um, and, um, and I think there, there's so many overlaps between what you do and, and what we do, and it, and, but they're, they're, um, they're, they're beautiful common areas. They don't clash 
so we could probably disagree with some fundamental points, but actually it's the same uh, uh, direction of travel. Yeah. The, the, the same kind of message is there, that actually it's what's going on in, in your thinking that um, causes this, uh, uh, the, the addiction um, uh, or behavioral issue to perpetuate. Nail that, if you handle that, um, you're free. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've answered your question then, actually. But, no, but no, no. It's, it's, but so what, so what is going on, like in a smoker, for example, like yourself, right? Lots and lots of <laughs> 80 cigarettes every day. I smoked 40, by the way, and I thought I was way off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, what, what was happening in your thinking the day before you went to the seminar and then what began changing in your thinking the day after you left? That's a great question. I mean, I uh, actually, confession, I, I read Alan's book, Easy Way to Stop Smoking, a year or two before I went to the seminar. And um, it really touched me. I thought, I, I read it. And it, it was like, oh, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about me. It's like, it could be me uh, saying these things. Um, and I don't know why. It just didn't, I didn't stop smoking at the end of it. Yeah. I was recommending the book to all my friends who smoked. I was smoking a cigarette. Go on, you've got to get this book. It's brilliant, you know. Um, but it just didn't quite click for me. Um, so my expectations were low. Uh, it, it, in terms of w- how did I get into that condition where I was smoking 80 cigarettes a day, I mean, it becomes a mindless, uh, there is no real thought process there. It's all what you constantly cigarettes out like another one actually quite often i find myself with two lit at the same time you know you sort of uh, 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 you, you you get towards the end of one cigarette you're worried about lighting up a new one and I, th- I think in some respects that says a lot about the addiction nicotine withdrawal hang on how can i be experiencing this unpleasant feeling we describe as withdrawal if i'm actually smoking a cigarette yeah. that's quite a breakthrough for some people yeah you think well is it because I need more cigarettes? I need my, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is it? Um, and, uh, and that was useful to me. It's basically the, 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 uh, the f- basis of, of addiction with Alan Carsey's way is uh, uh, nicotine comes to your body. Uh, you would, for the first time, you withdraw from it. It creates this slightly empty and secure feeling. No, no one's really aware of it when it happens. Um, withdrawal from nicotine um light a cigarette and that slightly uneasy feeling goes so right from the first few cigarettes what you're experiencing when you light a cigarette isn't other than feeling slightly rough or whatever depending on the experience any boost or positive experience you experience you get from a cigarette is just a return to normal so the withdrawal nicotine withdrawal brings you down um, and then you like a cigarette and you go back to normal and it feels like a positive, Im- it's had a positive impact. And that's the lifetime chain starting that, that no matter how low it drags you down, you like a cigarette and you do feel better than a moment before. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and that can be quite a lot for people to sort of get their heads around. Um, and the seminars, go on, sorry. Sorry, sorry. So just so, so kind of something that people might see in that is like, oh, uh, I thought I loved cigarettes. I thought I, I thought this gave me a great feeling. And this was my insight when I read the book in the early 2000s when I was quitting smoking. Um, 
I thought I loved being a smoker and it helped me relax and it was so enjoyable. What do you know? All I'm doing is making up for what I've kind of been doing to myself by smoking all these years. Is that how you yeah, say but it? So the, 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 drug, the drug doesn't relieve anything. It, uh, it partially relieves uh, the effects of the previous shot of the drug. Right. So it's kind of they're constantly trying to get back to normal. Yeah. So uh, uh, the revelation really is that actually as a smoker, you light a cigarette to try and feel like a non-smoker feels. So they don't have this yearning for a cigarette or whatever. And I was convinced to be, I, I, um, I think I, I, I loved, uh, the, was a smoker. I think I, I, I my mind, I, I felt I loved every single cigarette I smoked constantly. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, it, it is a revelation for most smokers. We say, okay, let's just analyze your beliefs about smoking. Yeah. You think it helps you to concentrate and you think it helps you to relax. You think it helps you to cope with stress. Uh, you think it helps you socialize. Yeah. That's everything. That's life. Yeah. Uh, this, the fact that you're incapable of doing any of these things without a cigarette before, during, or after is just an indication that you're, you're addicted. Um, uh, and it's, it's really un, uh, an unhelpful addiction. Uh, every time you light a cigarette, it kind of reinforces that belief that it's helping you. Yeah. Um, so what does a smoker do when they're happy? They light a cigarette. What do they do when they're sad? They light a cigarette. Smokers incapable of do, feeling normal unless they're, unless they're smoking. I, sound, I hope I don't sound too holier than thou. I'm, I'm the least no. reformed smoker in the world. But in terms of um, talking about smoking, it's quite, straight, it's quite a straightforward thing. And, and I, I do worry if a smoker's listening to me, forgive me, uh, it, it normally takes about sort of five hours to get the method across, we look at every possible positive a smoker thinks they get from smoking, whether it's social, uh, relaxation, stress, whatever it might be, every possible reason a smoker might have for smoking. And we just dismantle them gently and pleasantly. There's no sort of nasty you know, shock tactics or anything like yeah. that. Gently dismantle every single argument until you're less, left with the last one, which is actually... I don't know why I smoke. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it doesn't do all these things for me, why am I doing it? Yeah. Well, that, the only answer, well, I'm addicted. How does it, slight, then it's a small bridge over a little river of addiction where you think, okay, well, the addiction is easy to break. It, understanding that the real, the discomfort people feel when they try to quit smoking with willpower. And I felt it so many times on my previous attempts to quit, you know, sort of, anxiety, nervousness, tenseness, irritability, uh, you know, turn into an actual maniac. These are not physical symptoms of nicotine withdrawal. They're, they're, they're your body, your mind reacting to a thought process. Um, yeah. Once you've got the thought process under control, it's actually this kind of very peaceful, cool vibe yeah. going on. I love that. There is, right, that right there is so huge that we try to quit. We try to change whatever we're trying to change and we feel uncomfortable. And we say, see, I need that thing. This is what it means to, to withdraw from nicotine, alcohol, sugar, whatever. No, it's a bunch of thinking going on. It's a bunch of, you know, oh no, can I do this? Like, and, you know, or, or, you know, like you said, it's some body sensation that we've been kind of conditioned to think is the pro is what it's like to to stop something and it truly isn't. So I, I love that so much to just see how much our thinking comes in and tells us 
how we should be feeling. And we just do it because that's the way a brain works. It tells us what to feel and we feel it. <laughs> but when we just get a little bit of insight into that, it's like that that space grows, that skepticism, the suspicion around it grows. And we're like, huh, you know, maybe this isn't as horrible as I think it is. Yeah. And there's a, an 80 a day smoker who, who felt, you know, it was tortuous whenever I couldn't smoke, um, even a short period of time. Uh, I, I remember walking into my seminar, I said, yeah, you're going to find it really easy to stop smoking. But, well, I don't think so, you know. And, yeah. But then what, what prepares you? It's like a, intense training course for life of freedom how to escape from somewhere um and you realize uh, pretty much you said there is something in this so uh you know a smoker on a flight um, um uh, who isn't able to smoke now they even a heavy smoker unlike me they they might actually be okay for the flight they know they can't smoke they probably won't even use nicotine patches or gum they're just fine um Half an hour before they're due to land, if the pilot suggests that oh, there's been a delay, they've been diverted, the flight's going to last another two hours. In that moment, the feelings are there. Yeah. The feeling they would describe as nicotine withdrawal. Now, they weren't there a second ago. Right. All of a sudden, they're there. And, and, and it's evidence like that that's, that really does prove to people that this is the result of a mental process. Uh, yeah. The chemical addiction is actually very, very mild. And what you said earlier about how am I, how am I wanting, craving a cigarette when I'm smoking a cigarette? Yes. <laughs> and and the flip side of that is like, how is it that when you hear when the pilot comes on and says, "Oh, good news, we get to land early," like all of a sudden you feel better, you know? Yes. Or, or it's like, "Ooh, it's coming," you know? And yes. and I I had a binge eating issue for many years, and I remember my whole day would be the mental battle. I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to do it. It would just, so much stuff would build up. And then finally I'd say, fine, I'll just, I'll start tomorrow. I'll quit tomorrow. And the minute I made that decision, I hadn't eaten a thing, but the minute I made that decision, I felt better. So I, so cool. So cool to see all of that. All of these are just such great relatable things that help people see, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, this really is just habitual thought that looks really true and real to me. Absolutely. That's yeah. brilliant. You've done so much work with that as well, with the sort of binge eating, that kind of thing. It's just yeah. extraordinary. We've touched on it with Alan Carr. So we looked at sugar addiction. We've got a program for that, which was you know, brilliantly successful and has really helped people, uh, even people with um, type 2 diabetes. They, they just amend their thinking, obviously adjust what they're eating and how they feel about what they're eating. And they're sugar levels go back to normal. It's, it's kind of this miracle kind yeah. of thing. Um, and that led to us looking at emotional eating as well. And we were so lucky that, you know, amongst the team now, um, uh, Alan Carr's global team, we have pretty much experience in every single aspect of of addiction or behavior issues or whatever. They, we're, we're just a big family of people who have come through some really bad stuff and have a, and have an insight into that because of our intimate understanding of Alan Carr's easy way. Yeah. You can pretty much apply that thinking to well, anything, any, any, any issue really. Yeah. What do you think happens? So, cause this is the really interesting point. So through your seminars, as people are reading the books, all of these conditioned beliefs are becoming dismantled a little bit. They're just looking a little different. 
and there's like this space that opens up like, well, maybe, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. How, I don't know how I would answer this question or how you will, but I'll just throw it out there. Like, how is it then that from all of that, from that place, it's, it's easy to quit or relatively easy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's just something so fascinating about that point. So we've, we've taken away all the stuff that has looked so solid and real. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what happens? Because their body still, their body still wants the nicotine again or whatever the substance is. Do you think it's just that in those following moments, then that experience just right off the bat just feels different to them? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, 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 the uh, this is true of, of a whole range of, uh, if we talk about just addiction, a, a, a chemical, chemical addiction, across the whole range, the physical withdrawal from the drugs is incredibly mild. The real problem is in, in the, what's manifested through mental process or whatever. So nicotine, yeah, that's mildest, mildest feeling of tension. And w- once a smoker realizes it's this mental process that's been the problem, and that if they think about cigarettes, it doesn't mean they've got a problem. Yeah. Um, their first reaction when they think about cigarettes isn't, oh, God, I'll, I wish I could have one. Oh, yeah. I can't smoke. It's to think, great, I don't do it anymore. And as long as, long as you've got that sort of thought process, you don't even notice any, any uh, nicotine withdrawal. Going to the other end of the, uh, the extreme, um, heroin, for example, um, it's just not that bad withdrawal from heroin. It's just opioid. It's just not that bad. It's not a picnic, but it's sort of, you know, if you, uh, uh, and again, I don't want to alienate anyone who's had issues with these drugs and uh, hang on, I went through the 12 set program. It was torture in hell. If, if you get your mind right, uh, withdrawal from heroin is just, well, if it's wrecked your life or whatever, if somebody said, oh, look, you could have a, Symptoms of like a, a mild case of flu for a week. Would, would you put up with that to get free? Of course you would. Yeah. It's, and it's, it really is no worse than that. The real horrible stuff comes from uh, the, the feeling of uh, deprivation, of missing out on something you, you want and can't have. And it, it seems crazy that this, this, this could be the case. Um, that the the desire, the craving, the yearning for the drug, it, it comes from here rather than the chemical addiction. Um, and we we talk in terms of the the, the little monster, which is the addiction, uh, and the big monster, which is what's going on up here. And as long as you get that right, you'll be uh, you'll be fine. It really is cool to see that, though. How. Um Yes, how little that little monster is. So yes, you're going to still have thoughts. And, and I love what you said too. Like we come to see, oh, it doesn't matter if I think about this, even if I think I want it, even if, you know, because I'm sure many, many smokers just habitually just reach for and light a cigarette. And then they think, oh, wait, I don't do this anymore. Now, without your mind right, you're going to tell a story that says, see, I knew it couldn't work for me. But yeah. with your mind right, you're not. Yeah. You're so much that, less likely. It's so true. There's, and, and it can be little things or big things. There's little things like the smell. I mean, I used to just say, oh, God, the smell of the, the cigarette smoke. And I say, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't mind the smell of cigarette smoke. I've got to be honest. Yeah. I, I don't hang around people smoking and breathe it in. I like the smell of um, uh, 
gas stations. You know, it sounds a bit weird, but I've always, since I was a kid, I, I do thought, too. I love it. Well, like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Smell a gas station. Oh, I yeah. don't mind that at all. I don't hang around them and yeah. I don't carry a little bottle of petrol, petroleum with me and, <laughs> and whatever. Um, I love the smell of all sorts of things. Uh, none of which leads me to, to, to compulsively out of control, consume them, knowing that, it's, that they're going to kill me. So it's separating the sort of those, those, those things. That we assume if we get a whiff, waft of cigarette smoke, oh, that must mean I want to smoke. And it doesn't. It doesn't, really, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything more than me liking the smell of gas in a gas station or, or whatever. Yeah. And there's lots of little examples <laughs> like that. The one you use is brilliant. You, yeah, somebody offers you a cigarette, you reach out to take one. Oh my God. Oh, my hand went out. Does that mean right. I wanted one? <laughs> and if, you're, if your mind isn't right, that creates this whole conversation. Oh, do you want one? No, I don't. And you try and get to this ding dong button. As soon as that happens, it, it can be a sort of downward spiral. As long as your thinking is clearer, they are cool. We don't smoke anymore. And right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a great feeling. And it's where it's so helpful to see, um, for people to just kind of see how mechanical we are, our bodies and our brains and all of that. Like, of course, you're going to reach for that cigarette. There's a great chance you are because that's what you've been doing for how many years, you know? But there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing more meaningful to it than that. Yeah. I used to, uh, as a chain smoker, the first thing I used to do when I get get into my car was pull the window down. I drove around miles and miles, always with the window open. I'm half deaf in this ear because of it probably. Um, and for a year or so after I, I uh, stopped smoking, I carried on doing it. It's just kind of up there and I didn't beat myself up about it. I just, it used to make me laugh. You know, I'd get into the car, crack the window and with, for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and as long as you're cool about it, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. At some point, I kind of stopped doing it. I don't know when that was, but uh, (laughs) I know it's so so funny that the stuff we think is so meaningful and that it just has such a grip on us to to see it differently. So there's so much in the fact that this method works so well and that it works the way it does says something so much bigger about I think our what I would call our innate health. Our you know I like to say like, no, everyone is habit-free. Everyone is addiction-free by nature. We just have thinking that tells us we aren't and we believe our thinking. And I think what you're saying that people can read these books and go to a seminar and walk out and live in their habit-freeness, live in that, in that health, like that, that they didn't think was there at all two days ago. That I don't know, like that has to point to that, right? Like that health is there the whole time. We just think it isn't. Exactly. And I think a common misconception about um, the method and possibly about your your work as well, you might have have noticed this. Um, People think what we're saying is get your head right and something that's really, really tough won't seem so bad. You know, as long as your head's, you'll, you'll survive, you know. We're not saying that. Right. We're saying it is easy. The truth is it's easy. It's like, you know, the um uh what's the the movie? Um I can't remember the name of it now, the red pill, blue, blue pill. Yeah, movie. the matrix. That's it, mate. How can I forget the name of that movie? <laughs> um you know, once you're free, yeah, it's like this wonderful sense of peace and tranquility instead of this kind of machine in here going and up here, oh, you've got to have something, whatever it is, I've got to have it, I've got to do it. 
It's this sense of calm, which is just extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a huge distinction. You know, it's not, oh, let's think some nice thoughts and let's get our mind, you know, let's relax and get your mind clear. And then you'll be able to do the really hard work of stopping smoking. No, it's yeah. not that at all. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the entire issue is in a busy mind. When you're, and, and, you know, we see evidence of that all the time, even for people who smoke 80 cigarettes a day, if there are others, <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. If that really is a thing besides you, like, like there were moments when it wasn't on your mind, there had to have been little fleeting moments, you know? And so even that sort of shows us, no, when our mind settles down, it, like for me with binge eating, I, I felt, and I would look back and say, it's on my mind 24 seven. And I'm sure you hear that. I hear that from people all the time. Nope. It's all I yeah. ever think about. And when we really look, no, there are many moments where it's nowhere to be found. And that just means our mind is somewhere else, you know, because yeah. the whole problem is there. Yeah. And for us, the, the, the answer isn't a kind of distraction technique. Sort of tr- yeah. If you yeah. try not to think about it, you tend to think about it even more. Exactly. And uh, I think this is the, uh, the knock-on effect of um, people using willpower. I love, I love the, your book, The Willpower, Changing Habits. Yeah. Um, without willpower, uh, is that it's, uh, it just, it doesn't require willpower as long as you get your head right. It's not, it's not a lifelong struggle. It's, it's just this sense of calm and peace. And willpower is the complete opposite of what will help based on what we're saying. Because like you just said, to say, to try to bring out the willpower, it requires it to be on our mind all the time. Exactly. And, uh, and uh, uh, if you, uh, Again, willpower methods normally involves stuff like whether it's drugs or behavior, whatever else, cut down or controlling it, trying to resist it for long periods of time. And that just makes uh, drugs seem more precious, not less precious, yeah. which make this kind of, if you like, this kind of phony fake high you get when you have the drug even more immense. The lower it drags you down, the more uh, incredible it feels when you're actually allowed to have uh, what what you think you need to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I lo- I mean, I don't know. I love this conversation. I could just geek out on this stuff all day long, but I just am so amazed at, even though I've seen it all over and in myself too, like I'm just so amazed that it really works this way. Because, you know, we we just are, if you look out in the world, it's like such a, it can be such a grim story of how serious addiction is and how hard it is and how mental illness is so rampant. And that looks like such a real thing. And I just see what we're talking about as a essential truth of all human beings. We are just so full of health and resilience. We just think we aren't. And I love that that Alan Carr had his insight and then that you guys have done so much work to see how, wow, this extends to everything because it really does. I would say even anxiety and depression and so many other issues people are up against, not that they don't feel super real, but they are, they are not us. They are made of thought. Even when we see things like panic attacks and depression and all of that for what's really happening, I see the kind of change that you're describing with addiction, you know? And I don't know, it's just so exciting. I just feel like this is, uh, I hope, the future of mental health and addiction recovery and everything because it is simple and it just feels so true and it has such a good implications behind it for how free we are as humans are such good news. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never criticized 
twelve step programs, that kind of thing, or whatever. They helped so many people, but I, they could never work for me. I'm just, I'm just not equipped. And I think a lot of people have this. I'm just not equipped to say I'm a victim for this. I'm going to suffer with this for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm always going to be in. The, this is just for for me, my, my personality type. That's kind of destined to fail. There's no. Oh God! So this is, this is a lifelong battle against this. Yeah. Or, or I can get my head right and never have to worry about it again. Or I just take the easy way, easy way out every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that about us. Like you know, we we just need the lazy way or the easy way. But hey, that's good. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much, John. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and for spreading it so widely and extending it so broadly to so many things. Cause I know that just brings so many insights for people. They see, Oh, it's not just about smoking. It's about all these other things. And it's amazing. Listen, straight, straight back at you. You've got a lot, you've got a lot of fans in the Alan Carr, uh, Alan Carr's Easy Away family and uh, love what you're doing. As I say, there's that, that common ground in the middle, it, even though there are differences in, in approaches or whatever. And it's, uh, it's brilliant great stuff and congratulations on what you're doing thank you thank you so much great to talk with you you too Fourteen days from today, in two weeks, is September 28th, and September 28th is the first day of school for the Little School of Big Change Fall 2020 course. I'm so excited to see who gathers for this course and to to be with all of you for six weeks of a really meaningful, really amazing exploration into our resilience, our health, why we end up feeling anxious and worried and trying to predict the future and caught up in habits. And once we see a little bit about that, setting that aside and seeing how we can be free of all that, because freedom from all of that is our nature. It is the default natural state for every human being on earth. So it's not hard. It's just that we need to get a few little misunderstandings out of the way. So please check out the little school of big class starts in two weeks for the next two weeks. If you pre-enroll, so if you enroll early before we start on the 28th, you save $47, you secure your seat, which is pretty important, and you get some instant resources to start helping you right away. You get a free talk that I gave and my podcast guided tour, which no one gets unless you pre-enroll and some other great stuff. Um, check it out. Let me know what questions you have. And also, if you aren't on my mailing list, go over to dramyjohnson.com and join the list. Because if you're on that list, you'll see all kinds of special offers and announcements and important things around the school and just other things that I offer. So head over there and jump on my list. And I can't wait to hopefully see you in school, in class, September 28th.